Hello, and welcome to another episode of Film Music Friday. I am your host, Aaron Smale. On today's episode, we're doing another Anatomy of a Score, this time on Alexandre de Platt's Oscar-winning score to the Grand Budapest Hotel from 2014. I'm so excited to dive into this film score. It's one of my all-time favorites by my favorite film composer, Alexandre de Platt. You'll remember from episode 2 on my top 10 scores of the 2010s that the Grand Budapest ranked very highly, though I won't tell you where it occurred in case you haven't listened to that episode yet. I'm going to start with a bit of background on Monsieur Desplat and his previous work, as well as his work with the Grand Budapest Hotel's director, the one and only Wes Anderson. Alexandre Michel Gérard Desplat, born in Paris, France in 1961, is a composer, orchestrator, and conductor. He decided to pursue film scoring age 16 when he first heard John Williams' score to Star Wars in 1977. After his big break into Hollywood in 2003 with his score to Girl with a Pearl Earring, he has composed music for such films as The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Fantastic Mr. Fox, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Parts 1 and 2, The King's Speech, Argo, The Imitation Game, The Shape of Water, Isle of Dogs, Little Women, and The Midnight Sky, among others. He won his first Oscar in 2014 for the Grand Budapest Hotel, and in a full-circle moment, he was also nominated in the same category in the same year for The Imitation Game. It was the first time a composer had won against another of his own scores since, get this, John Williams won for Star Wars in 1978, beating his other nominated score that year for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I personally love Desplat's music because it never ceases to be interesting to me. His themes and melodies captivate listeners, and his innovative instrumentation captures our imaginations, helping us plunge right into the world of the films. I have several of Desplat's soundtracks on my phone, and I always enjoy listening to them. With Wes Anderson, Desplat previously scored Moonrise Kingdom, as well as Fantastic Mr. Fox, and they have since collaborated on Isle of Dogs and the upcoming release The French Dispatch. As for the Grand Budapest Hotel, we should note the incredible instrumentation behind this film. Anderson and Desplat opted for a Russian folk-inspired score, and this includes the central use of a Russian folk guitar-like instrument called a balalaika. The soundtrack includes samples of other pieces not composed by Desplat, including contributions from orchestras such as the Ozapov State Russian Folk Orchestra, as well as a 50-person ensemble of French and Russian balalaika players. The score itself was recorded at Air Studios in London, with additional recording done at Abbey Road Studios, also in London. Now, without further ado, let's get into Alexandre Desplat's score for Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. I'll be going through the film chronologically through its five main parts. The film opens with a piece of music called Swoth Zairli, played over a black title card stating, On the farthest eastern boundary of the European continent, the former Republic of Zubrovka, once the seat of an empire. 
It cuts to a girl entering the old Lutz Cemetery, and as she approaches the memorial bust of an author with many hotel room keys hanging on hooks, she opens a book in her hand titled The Grand Budapest Hotel. She turns it over, and a photograph of the author on the bust, played by Tom Wilkinson, comes to life with a shift in time back to 1985, and he begins narrating the story. He tells the audience of his time spent off-season at the once-celebrated Grand Budapest Hotel in Nebelsbad in 1968. He laments the version of the hotel shown before us as he narrates that it had already begun its descent into shabbiness, and we see the younger version of the author enter the hotel lobby. The music underneath is an enchanting piece of music called Mr. Mustafa. Over this music, he describes his time at the hotel in general, the other quiet guests who keep to themselves, and the bantering familiarity he's developed with the hotel concierge, a certain Monsieur Jean, played by Jason Schwartzman, described as a West Continental, who struck one as being at once both lazy and really quite accommodating. The author notices an elderly gentleman sitting in the lobby and inquires of Monsieur Jean who he is. He explains that it's Mr. Mustafa, that he arrived early this morning. The author continues that Mr. Zero Mustafa was at one time the richest man in Zubrovka. After a few flashes of news headlines, Mr. Jean continues by telling the author that Mr. Mustafa takes a single bed sleeping room without a bath in the rear corner of the top floor, and that it's smaller than the service elevator. The author is perplexed by this, and after a small comical situation develops in the lobby, he continues to wonder about the old man that evening and night in his room, as he says his curiosity left him, as the German expression goes, gespannt wie ein Flitzebergen, on the edge of my seat. It cuts to the next morning, where the author is taking a bath in the communal spa, whereupon Mr. Mustafa, played by F. Murray Abraham, says, I admire your work, from a nearby but unseen bath. They exchange pleasantries, and after the author inquires about how Mr. Mustafa came to buy the hotel, Mr. Mustafa says, I didn't, and invites the author to dine with him that evening. It then cuts to a large dining hall where Mr. Mustafa orders a lavish meal of duck, rabbit, salad, and drinks. Mr. Mustafa begins his story with, and it cuts to a title card saying, Mr. Gustav. So the only major musical cue in this sequence is the piece called Mr. Mustafa, which we heard earlier. Most of the rest of this introduction has the dialogue and narration happening in relative silence. The piece sets up a sort of manner and air, if you will, of the characters to come. Safe to say that this is Mr. Mustafa's theme, the rich hotel owner. Later on, we will hear a similar motif in Zero's theme, the same man but much younger, where the majority of the story takes place in 1932. Part 1. Mr. Gustav We see Monsieur Gustave, played by Rafe Fiennes, standing at a hotel room balcony, 
and as the short but evocative piece called Overture Mr. Gustave plays, he oversees and instructs some of the other hotel staff to get the room in order for a guest's departure. We then see him sitting down across from the guest. She is old and looks wide-eyed and rather frightened. The next piece of music called A Prayer for Madame D plays, as they exchange conversation during which she states that she doesn't wish to leave the hotel because she's frightened. Mr. Gustave inquires why, and she says she doesn't know, but that she feels it, before noticing the, quote, diabolical varnish on her fingernails, that the color's completely wrong. She says, really, you don't like it? He says, no, it's not that I don't like it. I'm physically repulsed. Madame D is played by Tilda Swinton, by the way. It then cuts to an elevator ride in which Monsieur Gustave tries to calm her with a recitation of romantic poetry, and before we know it, we're outside the hotel as she gets in her car about to be driven away. Upon her departure, Monsieur Gustave begins talking to Zero, played by Tony Revolori, who has been in the background of all the scenes in this part thus far. Monsieur Gustave explains that it's quite a thing winning the loyalty of a woman like that for 19 consecutive seasons, and that he'd never seen her frightened like that before. We then hear the next musical cue, a piece called The New Lobby Boy, which plays throughout the next sequence. Mr. Gustav inquires who Zero is, as he really only notices him at this point. He gets formally interviewed by Mr. Gustav, although briefly on a walk through the vast hotel lobby, and they go up to Madame D's room, where Mr. Gustav finds an envelope addressed to him with a thousand klubecks in it, the Zabrovkin currency, and a letter which he begins to read. A cut to the hotel lobby once more that reads one month later, and Mr. Mustafa says, and so my life began. and he continues narrating the story in a montage including his various duties as junior lobby boy in training, touching on the philosophy of the job as outlined and strictly instructed by Monsieur Gustave. The piece underneath the entirety of this montage is the first movement of Concerto for Lute and Plucked Strings, not by Alexandre Desplat, but by Baroque composer Antonio Vivaldi. He wrote the Four Seasons. Without an acute ear for such things, one generally wouldn't think twice about who composed this piece, as the instrumentation and tempo fits really rather well with the music already established by Desplat. Zero outlines what his weekly schedule looks like, and touches on the fact that no one knew who owned the hotel, but that his emissary, known as Deputy Kovacs, would visit each month to review the books and convey messages. It then cuts to a bakery called Mendel's, and Mr. Mustafa continues that this is also when he met Agatha, concluding with, but we won't discuss that. The piece of music ends as the title card for part two comes up. Once again, the musical cues in this part are few, but interesting enough. They establish tone, and overall they give us expository emotional information, in that the music informs us of the day-to-day -day proceedings of the hotel, how things are, and so forth. Part two. Madame Céline Villeneuve de Goffin Taxis. 
Zero is picking up newspapers from the newsstand one morning, and he looks at the front page and looks shocked, and immediately he runs up to the funicular, up to the hotel, runs through the lobby and up to a room where Mr. Gustav answers. He shows him the front page, the main headline reading, Will there be war? Tanks at border. And a smaller headline reads, Dowager Countess found dead in boudoir, with a small photo, it's Madame D. Mr. Gustav announces that they must go to her and fast. The shot cuts to a train going across a low bridge over a frozen river, and the next musical cue begins, called Daylight Express to Lutz. On the train, Mr. Gustav explains the nature of Madame D's family and his time spent with the late Countess. The train suddenly stops at a barley field and a title card appears saying, 19th of October, closing of the frontier, and the pair are visited by troops in grey uniforms. They ask for documents, and upon seeing that zeros are not seemingly up to standard, they ask him to come outside, and Mr. Gustav objects, saying, you can't arrest him simply because he's a bloody immigrant, he hasn't done anything wrong. The music here plays comically on the tension of the argument before the pair are roughed up against the compartment walls. A man then blows his whistle and enters the room. He recognizes Monsieur Gustave, and after introducing himself as Henkels, played by Edward Norton, he orders his troops to release Gustave and Zero. He cites a personal connection to the hotel for he and his parents when he was young and he writes up a temporary exemption for Zero to travel freely before letting them continue on their journey. Then we see a taxi careening through the streets of Lutz to a musical cue called Schloss Lutz, Overture. Mr. Gustav and Zero arrive and make their way inside to see Madame D's body. The next major musical cue then plays called The Family de Goffun Taxis. While paying his respects, a maid named Clotilde, played by Lea Sedou, who brought the pair inside, informs Monsieur Gustave that the head butler would like to see him in his office. Narrated by Mr. Mustafa again, he tells how they were led through a series of rooms to an office next to the kitchen, and after the head butler glares at them through the office window, he makes a gesture as if to say, wait a moment, and leaves the room. Monsieur Gustave and Zero give chase, and end up in an auditorium filled with people. The next musical cue plays here as they enter the room called The Last Will and Testament.
Family members near and far are gathered to hear the reading of Madame D's will, led by none other than Deputy Kovacs, played by Jeff Goldblum, who in this case is serving as the executor of the dead widow's estate. Kovacs signals that the reading is about to begin, and he goes on with legal jargon before announcing that a last-minute edition sent by Madame D in the last hours of her life will be read first. It states that she is willing a painting called Boy with Apple to Mr. Gustav, who is standing with Zero at the back of the hall. After one of the family members says, who's Gustav H? Mr. Gustav pipes up with, I'm afraid that's me, darling. After the entire crowd turns around to look at the back of the room, the eldest son and heir to the estate, Dimitri, played by Adrian Brody, accuses Mr. Gustav of trespassing. He goes on and criticizes Mr. Gustav's alleged exploits before there's a scuffle in which Dimitri punches Mr. Gustav, Zero punches Dimitri, and Dimitri's hitman, J.G. Jopling, punches Zero. The music dramatically announces J.G. Jopling's entrance into the plot. Jopling's played by Willem Dafoe. Mr. Gustav and Zero are escorted out and back into the head butler's office, where Mr. Gustav explains to Zero that the painting known as Boy with Apple is priceless. Zero asks to see it, and Mr. Gustav takes him through a series of rooms to the anticlimactic resting place of the painting above a fireplace. After admiring it for a minute or two, Zero encourages Mr. Gustav to steal it, and they do, taking it to the estate lobby where he asks Serge X, the head butler, played by Mathieu Améric, to wrap up the painting, and upon doing so, he slips a document titled Confidential behind the painting. Mr. Gustav and Zero are taken to a car and back to the train station. The next musical cue plays under the train ride called Night Train to Nevelsbad. On the train, Mr. Gustav and Zero make a plan to sell the painting as soon as possible, because the family may try to steal it back and the war could mean a dry spell in the hotel trade. They plan to leave the country after selling the painting and to lay low somewhere on the Maltese Riviera. Mr. Gustav also pledges that Zero will be his sole heir, and they shake on this sacred bond. Mr. Mustafa narrating says that he never told me where he came from and I never asked who his family had been. Back at the hotel in the morning, Mr. Gustav puts Boy with Apple, still wrapped up, in the hotel safe, before a staff member says that the police are downstairs. Upon arriving downstairs to meet them, Henkels is there, and he charges Mr. Gustav with murder. Mr. Gustav says, Ah yes, we never get the cause of death. She's been murdered, and you think I did it. Mr. Gustav then makes a run for it, but is presumably caught, and the title card for part three comes up. So in part two, lots of music is heard, mainly the themes of the family dig off in taxis, Madame D's motif, which we heard near the beginning of part one, and some expansions on those themes. Deplas sticks to the same instrumentation throughout, and a few times in this part, more so than previous parts of the film so far, we see music helping the comic parts of the scenes, or having a bigger role in emphasis on the action of the scene. Part three, Checkpoint 19, Criminal Internment Camp. Mr. Gustav is now in prison, and Zero visits him and gives him some information, mainly that Zero met in secret with Deputy Kovacs, and Kovacs informed him that Dekofrin taxis are framing Mr. Gustav, saying that he was seen on their estate 24 hours before Madame D's death. The witness involved is Serge X, the head butler, but Mr. Gustav thinks Serge was put up to it, and now Serge has fled to an unknown location. The first musical cue in this part, and one of my favorite pieces in the score, is called J.G. Jopling private inquiry agent. And it plays under the next scene in which Jopling goes to see Serge X's sister, asking for his whereabouts.
He intimidates the woman, and Mr. Mustafa narrates that the de Goffin taxis are a very powerful family, and that time was not on our side. Fast forward ahead, and Mr. Gustav meets a band of inmates who involve them in their master plan to escape the prison. A flashback then occurs, and the music underneath is once again the Vivaldi concerto that we heard in part one. Mr. Mustafa narrates his courtship with and proposition of marriage to Agatha, a baker at Mendel's played by Saoirse Ronan, and how she helped save Mr. Gustav by smuggling cutting tools inside baked goods that were sent to the prison. It then cuts to an argument between Dmitri and Kovacs. Dmitri then storms off and Jopling follows. The next music cue is called The Cold-Blooded Murder of Deputy Vilmos Kovacs, and it happens as Kovacs leaves his office building for the evening, and he notices Jopling following him. He gets on a tram car, and in order to try and lose Jopling, he gets off at the Kunstmuseum, or Art Museum, and a tense walking chase scene follows as the music builds and builds, ending in a grisly death for Kovacs. Thank you. 
The next scene in major musical cue is the escape from the prison. The cue is titled Escape Concerto. In fact, at one point when the music cue is finished, it starts up again from the beginning as they make the final part of their escape out the laundry room and through a storm drain coming up outside the prison where Zero awaits. When the band of inmates leaves, Zero and Mr. Gustav are in conversation, and Zero reveals that he didn't get them a safe house or disguises, and he forgot Mr. Gustav's cologne, Lair de Panache. Upon hearing this, Mr. Gustav descends into a racially driven monologue about how Zero can't do anything right, and that the highly cultivated society of theirs could have gotten along very well without him. Zero reveals that the reason he's there at all is because of a war in the Middle East which he fled. And with that, we have our next musical cue in The War, Zero's Theme. Notice how it's a slower and thematically less developed version of Mr. Mustafa's theme, which we heard earlier in the introduction. Mr. Gustav laments his behavior and apologizes profusely, and Zero forgives him. They then find themselves on the run when the alarm up at the prison has sounded, and an amusing musical cue called No Safe House plays as they run. Back at the prison, Henkels orders roadblocks, bloodhounds, and soldiers on the lookout, and we later cut to a phone booth in the middle of nowhere where Mr. Gustav is calling in a favor. Mr. Gustav explains to Zero that they are a brotherhood of hotel concierge who help each other secure lavish things and fashionable seats at the opera, restaurants, and so on. He's speaking to his friend and fellow concierge, Monsieur Ivan, and makes an official request calling on the services of, and the title for part four pops up, the Society of the Crossed Keys.
So, lots of great music in this last part as we were introduced to J.G. Jopling's theme through his intimidation of Sergex's sister and the murder of Deputy Kovacs, and we also hear lots of snare drum and militaristic sounding music for the prison escape. Additionally, we hear the progenitor to Mr. Mustafa's theme in the War, or Zero's theme, which reflects his tragic circumstances as a refugee in Europe from the fictional Middle Eastern town of Aksalim al-Jabat. And lastly, we're introduced to the joyful music of the Society of the Crossed Keys. Part 4. The Society of the Crossed Keys We see Monsieur Ivan, played by Bill Murray, at his hotel, directing a guest before he makes a call to another hotel concierge, and he makes a call to another, and so on and so on. It's an amusing montage, and the music accompanying it is called Monsieur Ivan, an expansion or more of a bold take on the theme of the Society of the Crossed Keys. Ivan picks up Zero and Monsieur Gustave in a car and takes them to the train station, informing the pair on the way that the society found the butler, Serge X, and that he's hiding out in the remote foothills near Gablemeister's Peak. During the car ride, we hear Monsieur Ivan's theme again under the dialogue, and on the train we hear a variation of the war or Zero's theme, while Zero and Monsieur Gustave hash out their plans to follow once they get to the remote foothills near Gablemeister's Peak. Before their arrival, we see Jopling having his motorcycle refueled at a service station by a young attendant played by Lucas Hedges in one of his first major roles. As Zero and Mr. Gustav make their way to the cable cars leading up to the peak, the next music cue plays, titled Canto at Gablemeister's Peak, as they follow instructions from a series of monks and end up in a monastery at the top of the peak. They're then instructed to go into the confession box to meet Serge. Once there, Serge confesses that he never meant to betray Mr. Gustav, and that the family murdered his sister. He also informs them that there is a second will to be executed only in the event of Madame D's death by murder, and that he pulled a copy before it was destroyed. Serge stops talking and they realize that he's been strangled. They see Jopling leaving the monastery, and he gets on skis and goes downhill, with Zero and Mr. Gustav giving chase on a sled. The music cue ends as Zero is upside down and unconscious in the snow, and Mr. Gustav hangs over a cliff with Jopling standing over him, slowly breaking the ice on which Mr. Gustav hangs. Then suddenly Zero comes out of nowhere and pushes Jopling to his death before helping Mr. Gustav up. Henkels and his troops are on the other side of the icy canyon, and on a megaphone he announces that Mr. Gustav is a fugitive and will be arrested if they attempt to flee, but the pair flee anyway on Jopling's motorbike before the next part's title card appears. So in that part, we have less happening musically than in previous parts. 
We have the playing and replaying of Mr. Ivan's theme, a reiteration of the War or Zero's theme, and the wildly musical canto at Gablemeister's Peak. The music does contribute, however, to some of the iconic moments in the part, but especially in the chase scene down the ski hill. The next part is where everything comes together. Part 5. The Second Copy of the Second Will It begins with Mr. Mustafa narrating that the war began at midnight, with Feifelstad falling by lunch under heavy shelling, with ten battalions making their way along the western border, as High Command fled to Nebelsbad, taking up rooms at the Grand Budapest. The next major musical cue plays here, called A Troop's Barracks, Requiem for the Grand Budapest. It's an amusing militaristic theme following the ins and outs of the exploits to follow. In a title appearing that says 24 hours later, Agatha arrives with boxes of pastries from Mendel's and she makes her way up to the office with the hotel safe to retrieve the painting Boy with Apple. Outside, while Zero and Mr. Gustav are in a Mendel's vehicle disguised as Baker's, they see Dimitri pull up to the hotel and they go in after him fearing Agatha's safety. They all separately make their way to the upper floors of the hotel, and a chase ensues culminating in a wild gunfight in the upper inner balconies of the hotel. Henkels comes to break it up and announces everyone's under arrest before a scream is heard. It's Agatha out the window hanging by a thread with the painting. The shooting resumes as Zero goes to save her and ends up falling out the window beside her. She yells that there's something on the back of the painting before they fall into the Mendel's truck out front. She once again reiterates that there's something on the back of the painting. The next shot shows the entirety of the staff along with Zero, Mr. Gustav and Dimitri around the envelope marked confidential with a subtitle of to be opened only in the event of my death by murder, signed Madame D. The music cue playing here is called Cleared of All Charges, as indeed they are. Mr. Mustafa narrates that she left everything to Mr. Gustav, of course. The mansion, Schloss Lutz, various factories, an important newspaper syndicate, and, he says, this very institution, the Grand Budapest Hotel. He concludes by saying that Mr. Gustav appointed Zero as his successor, and throughout the war he served his adopted country from a desk in the next room. While the next musical cue plays, called The Mystical Union, he states that Mr. Gustav did not succeed in growing old. As we see Mr. Gustav officiating the wedding of Zero and Agatha, he says neither did Agatha, as she and their infant son died of a disease called Prussian Grippe. 
cured today in a week. On the 21st day of the occupation of Zabrovka, the day the country ceased to exist, Mr. Gustav, Zero, and Agatha are on a train before it's stopped and boarded by troops in black uniforms. They ask for documents, and Zero's temporary pass, which he still has from before, is ripped up. An argument ensues, and Mr. Mustafa narrates and praises Mr. Gustav's bravery in the situation. Back in 1968, the author asks what happened in the end. Mr. Mustafa says, in the end, they shot him. So it all went to me. After a pause, we hear Mr. Mustafa's theme playing faintly in the background. The author narrates that in recent years, properties and holdings such as the Grand Budapest had, with very few exceptions, become common property, alluding to a communist state overseeing the region in 1968. The result of Mr. Mustafa's negotiation was an open secret, that Mr. Mustafa had traded his fortune for one costly, unprofitable, and ultimately doomed hotel in the Grand Budapest. After the author inquires, Mr. Mustafa states that he kept the hotel for Agatha, saying that they were happy there for a little while. After he says goodnight to Mr. Mustafa, the author concludes, and we hear the a cappella music heard off the top of the film once again. He says he soon sailed for South America and wouldn't return to Europe for many years, and that the Grand Budapest was an enchanting old ruin, but that he never managed to see it again. It cuts to the girl on the bench in the cemetery reading his book, and the credits roll. This is a film I can watch again and again and again. I must have seen it dozens of times by now. And not only that, but I will always remember the first time I saw it. It was on a global education trip with my grade 10 French class to Lyon, France. Each of us was paired with an English student in the equivalent age group, and in between sightseeing and taking classes with them, we also had some free time to do as we pleased. One afternoon, a group of us ended up going to a pâté cinema, and I believe initially we were going to see a Captain America film, but for some reason we didn't, and am I ever glad that we didn't. We saw the Grand Budapest Hotel instead, and I think I even saved the ticket stub in my journal from the trip. So for me, not only does the music of the Grand Budapest remain a favorite as far as film scores go, but it remains forever tied to fond memories, and I'm reminded of that wonderful experience each time I listen to Deplas' score. This concept of film music and memory is one of many concepts which I'll be touching on more in depth in the next episode, so I hope you'll tune in. As always, if you enjoy listening to me talk about film music on Fridays, be sure to follow on Spotify, Rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, 
and share far and wide on social media. Hey, speaking of social media, we're now on Twitter, so go give us a follow at Film Music Friday. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay well, my friends. This has been Film Music Friday, the podcast, and I am your host, Aaron Smale. Thanks for listening.